Praise God. If you go with me to Acts chapter 16. So I, I can't really quite remember everything that we went through last week because I felt like it was such a special service. God was moving in a great way, and I didn't feel the freedom to go into all of the message. So some of the things that I may share with you may be a little redundant, but that's okay because sometimes I need to hear things more than one time. Anybody with me? Right, and then we're going to dive into the message. We begun a series entitled Joy to the World. And the idea that I believe God wants us to walk away with is that God wants us to have joy for life. And there's a difference between joy and temporary happiness. There's this temporary happiness that happens, you know, whenever the income tax check comes in or whenever situations work out just right or whatever it may be. There's a temporary happiness that comes with temporary things, right? But as soon as those temporary, temporary things change, that happiness goes with it too. And then there's joy, and joy is totally different. And we said last week that joy is having that peace, that contentment, that delight that comes with the assurance of having a relationship with Jesus that assures us of who we are in him, that he is with us, and assures us of that which is to come. I'm excited as a believer about eternity. Anybody with me? I'm excited about being with God. I'm excited about, you know, the tree of life. And I'm excited about seeing things from that perspective. And so we should have that excitement. And the excitement of Jesus' return, of his, of his promises, should guard us and should keep, should keep this joy alive. And so, again, we said that joy is the delight from the consideration of the present or a short approaching, approaching possession of a good. Joy is the satisfaction, delight, contentment, and happiness that we have in consideration of the assurance that we live, that we live by and hope for. And temporary happiness would be different. It is a state of satisfaction, contentment, or delight that depends on earthly possessions or present circumstances. I read this. I don't know if I read it for the, this service as well as the first one, but I love it. And I read it twice this morning, and I'm going to read it again because it's so good. And this note you find in the Life Application Study Bible, and he makes a difference between that temporary happiness and the joy that God gives. And, and what that note says is this. The word happiness evokes visions of unwrapping gifts on Christmas morning, Strolling hand in hand with the one you love, being surprised on your birthday, responding with unbridled laughter to a comedian, or vacationing in an exotic locale. Everyone wants to be happy. We make chasing this elusive ideal a lifelong pursuit. Spending money, collecting things, and searching for new experiences. But if happiness depends on our circumstances, what happens when the toys rust, loved ones die, health deteriorates, money is stolen, and the party is over? Often, happiness flees and despair sets in. In contrast to happiness stands joy. Running deeper and stronger, joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God's love and work in our lives. That he will be there no matter what. Happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Christ. Happiness, or that temporary happiness, depends on happenings, on the things that happen. But joy depends on Christ, and he's always seated on the throne. Right? He's always seated on the throne. And so as we dive into the series, what, what's the goal here? I want to challenge us. Let's thank God for 
the joy that life brings. Let's thank God for the circumstances that, you know, we should be thankful for. But there's something greater than that. I want us to make a commitment. Says, you know, no matter what happens in life, no matter what circumstances I face, I'm going to hold on to the joy that I have in Jesus. Because if I'm human and I'm alive, sooner or later, there's going to be trials, there's going to be storms, there's going to be questions that will have no answers. There will be things that I will not understand. And in that moment, I don't necessarily need the answer. I don't need the why. But what I need is to be in a relationship with God that anchors me in the joy that he gives and that keeps me until I see him face to face. I want us to make that trade, to make that commitment this holiday season because things may not work out the way that we plan because some people may get on my nerves. Can I get a witness? Because some things may not be so great, but in the midst of all that, I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate the peace that God has given me, the joy that God's given me. I'm going to be anchored in Christ. That's what I want. That's the goal of this entire series that should carry us all the way through December. And we're going to go through Philippians. And Philippians, it's a, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Philippi. And he wrote it to them while in prison. And the number one statement in that letter is commanding his church to rejoice, commanding the church to have joy. And so it's very important to note, while in prison, while suffering for Jesus, he calls us to have joy. And so I'm excited to dive into that letter. But before we dive into that letter, we're going to look at Acts 16. And we're going to look at the story behind the letter, the connection behind the letter. That letter was written, but before the letter was written, Paul was hanging out with the Philippians. And he shared the good news with them. Certain things happened. And what I want to do is look at that situation, what we learned from Paul's story there, what we learn from the Philippians at that moment, and what the Bible tells us about guarding our joy, even in difficult circumstances. Okay, So we're going to pick up uh, in, in Acts chapter 16, and it reads this way. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And the idea there is, she was a believer, but the father was not a believer. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, I want you to notice this. Paul is called to go share the good news with the Gentiles. And what is he doing? What is he doing? Doing the work of the kingdom. Going to Phrygia and Galatia. Having been, but notice what happens. The Holy Spirit forbids them to speak in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting south from Troas, we made a direct voyage to, yeah, 
Samothrace, you're looking for a name for your firstborn, Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, uh, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Father, as we read your word, I thank you. For all that you have for us today, we only ask that you reveal exactly what we need to hear today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart with a ground that's tilled to receive the impartation of your word. We so desperately want to hear your word, see your word, and preach it in power and anointing and authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here you have this incredible story. Paul is going on doing the ministry that God's called him to. He'd already accomplished his first missionary journey. He went back to the church, and as he went back to the church, he was again sent out, and he goes on his second missionary journey. And here in this portion of Scripture, several powerful things happen that we need to take note of. Number one, the first thing that we note here in this portion of Scripture is that our joy, the joy of the church, the joy of the people of God is found in Christ alone. Our joy is found in Christ alone. Paul, after his first missionary journey, went to Jerusalem to meet the apostles and the leaders of the church. And one of the challenges that he had, we talked about several weeks ago, and that is that there were people who were coming, at, coming after Paul saying stuff like, oh, did, did Paul say that all you have to do is believe in Jesus and follow him? No, you've got to do more. You've got to follow this law, and you've got to follow this rule, and you've got to you know, be circumcised, and you've got to keep these certain days, and all these things. And when Paul went to the church in Jerusalem and talked to them about this situation, the church concluded, we cannot put these rules on people who have been set free by the power of the Holy Spirit on people who have been redeemed by the power of the cross. No, instead that they would follow Jesus and that they would not eat or give themselves to anything that's been sacrificed to idols. And if they do that, they're going to do well in their journey. And so Paul got excited. And what happened is that he went to the churches and he told the churches, you know what, guys? I know that you've had people who've come from the old tradition, the old Jewish tradition, to try to get you to follow the Jewish law. All of the 613 laws that there are there. And you thought you had to eat this and you had to keep these days and you had to be circumcised and do all this stuff. But really, all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and follow him. And the church lit up. They were so excited. It's very important to notice the Bible says that the church was strengthened because of that message, but also that the church grew in numbers daily. Our joy is found in Jesus only. Why do I share that with you? It is quite possible for any and every one of us to switch 
and to make the trade of instead of having a personal relationship with Jesus, to just focus on our religious duties. I'm going to read my Bible so I can check it off. I'm going to pray so that I can check it off. I'm going to go to church so I can check it off. I'm going to become a member so I can check that off. And if I just do all these right things, I'm going to be good. While all along, missing out on the reality that it's about a relationship with Jesus. It's quite possible to know all the right things and not know him. It's quite possible to know about him and not know him. I used to say all the time, my favorite basketball player at one point was Dwayne Wade. I love the way Dwayne, I could tell you a whole bunch about Dwayne Wade. Do you know that Dwayne Wade doesn't know me? Can you believe that Dwayne Wade doesn't know me? I know a lot about him, but the sucker don't know me, right? And I can know a whole lot about Jesus without knowing him. We can come to church by and by, try to do the rules, try to do the, all of the things that we ought to do that are normal fruits that come out of a life that is in love with Jesus, that has boundaries. But you know, if we do it the wrong way, if we do it out of rules, we can miss him all together. Our joy is not found in our ability to keep the law. Our joy is not found in our ability to be religious. Our joy is not found in our works. Our joy is not even found in miraculous signs and wonders. The Bible tells us that Jesus sent out the disciples by two and it says, just go, preach the good news. You know, if people receive you, you just be a blessing to them. And they came back, right? And they said, Jesus, we got to tell you what happened, man. We are praying for the sick and they were healed. We were praying for those who were demon-possessed, and they were delivered, and they started to tell all these things, all these miraculous things that took place. You know what Jesus said to them? That's awesome. But listen, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice in the fact that your names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that, what Jesus is, Jesus is not rebuking them for being happy that God's power was being demonstrated. No, that's good. But what Jesus was trying to help them understand, that the greater joy is this. You have been redeemed. You have been adopted. You belong to God the Father. And that reality is greater than any ministry that you can do for me. That's the deal. That reality is bigger and greater than anything that you can do for me. So I want to ask you this question. Are you still rejoicing over the fact that Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross for you, to adopt you and make you a son of the living God? Is that reality something that brings you joy today? Because if we make the trade and live by keeping the code and the law and by our religious duties and by our works and by our ministry, we can do all that and have no joy in the process. We can, we can wear the right shirt and have no joy. Anybody ever do that? The other day I, I, I confessed to the church on Wednesdays. If you want to hear me confess, come on Wednesdays. I confess a lot. But I was wearing my, you know, pray, serve, give shirt, right? Like I had, you know, you see the rock shirts, pray, serve, give, and it's awesome. That's what we're called to do. Pray strategically, serve intentionally, give generously, right? And I'm walking around, and I got this mug, right? I didn't even notice. You ever do that? You have this face, and you don't notice what your face is doing, but you're doing, okay, maybe just me. Right, you ever do that? Right, and then I just, I just happened to, you know, I just happened to walk by a mirror, and I saw my face, and I saw my shirt. It's like, that don't line up. That right now does not line up. You know, I had a friend, he used to drive crazy. I used to, you know, he drove by faith. 
And uh, he used to have all these bumper stickers. Philippians 4.13, the fish eating the Darwin fish, all this Christian stuff. Then all, all of a sudden, all his Christian stuff in the car was disappeared. It's like, dude, what happened to all your Christian stuff? He goes, man, I just drive bad. And I don't think I'm changing that, so I just took the bumper stickers <laughs> off. It's like, dang, at least you're honest. But maybe you should align your driving to Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> you know, let me tell you something. I'm going to make a commitment for the rest of my life. I don't ever want to preach a gospel without the joy that comes with that gospel. I don't want to keep the rules and not have the relationship. I don't want to follow code without having him. Our joy is found in our relationship with Jesus. I believe that the church would be more effective in leading people to Jesus if we were to rejoice over our salvation. I think that if we daily meditated on the fact that we are saved, that we're free, that we're redeemed, and that we're adopted, that there would be a joy that would fill us that would be infectious, that people would say, what is up with this person? Why are they still happy? You know, there were, there were just layoffs. There were just uh, issues at work. This just happened. But look at the joy. Because what in the world could possibly trump the fact that we're saved, redeemed, and adopted? Absolutely nothing. Here's another thing that this scripture teaches us. My joy is found in Jesus only. And by the way, my joy is not found in me being self-centered. My joy is not found in me being self-centered. Paul was going to go now on his second missionary journey. And as he was going on his second missionary journey, he encountered this young man named Timothy, which became very important in the life of Paul. Because Paul was going to, at one point of his life, pass on his ministry to Timothy. And so Timothy, being born uh, both of a Jewish woman and a Greek man, a Jewish woman who followed Judaism and a Greek man who didn't follow the law at all. Timothy was kind of grew up very secular. And Paul knew, I'm going to take this kid with me. He's a follower of Jesus. He's the one that's going to go with me in all that I do. But I know that he can't go in certain circles because certain circles won't receive him because of the circumcision issue. So in order for him to minister to the Jews, he's going to have to do this because if he doesn't, the Jews will not receive him. Yet God has called this kid to minister in greater circles, so I have to call him up. And so what did he do? He didn't follow the law. He didn't submit necessarily under the law, per se, as if he was obedient to the law, but he sacrificed something for the sake of the greater good. Timothy, Timothy said yes for the sake of the mission. This would mean putting aside any unnecessary hindrance that could, that could have been too great to overcome for the Jews who were practicing the law and did not believe. For the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of others, Timothy and Paul restrained themselves from freedoms that they could have taken. Because they understood that even though everything was permissible, not everything is beneficial. I remember... And I think I shared this before, but you'll hear it again and you'll be blessed. No. But I remember, you know, when I was telling people at campus, at school, that I was getting married. I was telling my friend, you know what, I'm going to be married. And uh, I'm marrying this girl, Becca. Yeah, you know, Becca, that hot girl. You know, that's how we do. Uh, so, 
You know, and I was, you know, and he was like, man, that is so awesome. You're going to find out how incredibly selfish you are. I was like, I didn't know, is that supposed to be a compliment or I don't, what is that supposed to be? And I understood what he meant after I got married. I realized that my life was in many ways self-centered. And when I came to faith in Christ, Christ demands that my life would be Christ-centered. And in being Christ-centered, I am not, I am not the main person to serve here. God is the person to serve. God doesn't serve me. The church doesn't necessarily serve me. I serve the church, and I serve Jesus, right? And so my life is supposed to be lived out of that reality. There were times where God's called me to preach in circles. There used to be a denomination called uh, International Missions, in Spanish, Misión Internacional, and we would call it Mission Impossible, because you had to wear a tie, you had to wear a suit, you could have any facial hair because if you had a goatee, it was like being a drug dealer. You know, every, not, you had to be like super clean cut. You know, women couldn't wear any makeup. The hair had to be pulled back to the point where it looked like you got a facelift. You know, the, you know, the skirts had to be flowing. And we would go into these places, and I didn't want to be in those places. I didn't want to minister in this place. I didn't feel comfortable in these places. I didn't like them. But Jesus said, I didn't, it's not about what you like. It's about where I called you to be. It's about what I called you to do. And so I realize that my joy is not found in me using my freedom the way that I want to, but in me walking in my freedom in obedience to Jesus. And so 1 Corinthians 9.19, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Whoa. This is what Paul said. I'm free from everything, yet I make my servant of every, myself a servant to everyone, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become just like the Jews in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as if I were one under the law, though I'm not under the law. But I do it that I may win some who are under the law. To those who are outside the law, I become as one who is outside the law, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You know what Paul is saying there? I have freedom, and every day I make a decision to become a servant to everyone with the freedom that I have. That is my decision. That is how I want to use the freedom that God has given me. And there, you know, there's something totally different. I believe Foster and the Spirit of the Disciplines is the one who said this about being a servant. There's a difference between choosing to serve and, there's a, and being a servant. Because a person who chooses to serve, they choose whatever they want to serve in whatever capacity they want to serve. But when we give our lives to Jesus, you ready? We don't choose what we serve. We just follow his lead, and we serve, period. Amen. We serve, period. It's what we do. If, if, if in our schools, we serve. In our workplace, we, we serve. With our, with our friends, we serve. With our singlehood, we serve. You know? It, all that God has given us, we live our lives to serve. That's who we are. We choose to take this freedom to do what Jesus did. What it, lead by serving. Lead by serving. Restraints make it possible for us to run the race. It makes it possible for us to reach those 
who don't know Jesus. I used to have a great teacher who said, you know, there are a lot of missionaries who die, but they don't die because of Jesus. They die because of culture. People who go to Muslim countries and refuse to understand the Muslim culture, therefore, they have no witness because they're trying to bring their American culture into their Eastern culture. Isn't that something? And I think that a lot of times our witnesses died because we refuse to understand the culture that surrounds us and minister in its context. So, my joy, my joy is in Christ alone. My joy is not found in me being self-centered, but rather it's found in me serving. My joy also, are you ready? My joy does not depend on my plans working out. I want to repeat that. I want you to be happy. If you're a person who loves to plan and strategize, and you're, you just have one of those minds that you just love to plan and strategize, would you raise your hand? You're a planner. You're a blessing. I can't plan a thing in my life. You know, I'm just not a good planner. But you're a planner. You just love to, you like details and things. Okay, hold on. This is going to get a little tough for you. Okay? But listen. Your joy, the joy that God has given you, does not depend on your plans working out. I want you to notice what happens in Acts 16, 6 on down. It says this, And Paul went to Phrygia and Galatia, but having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak, uh, having been forbidden to speak the word of God by the Holy Spirit in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God called us to preach the gospel to them. So here is Paul. God's calling him to go into the entire Gentile world. He says, Go. Preach the good news to the entire Gentile world. Real powerful, real clear. God shows up. It's like this incredible vision in Acts chapter 9, right? He loses his sight, then he gets prayed for, he regains his sight, and then God is sending him out with the power of the Holy Spirit to do this incredible work. And then Paul continues to do the ministry, second missionary journey. And as he's going to places, instead of hearing from God, go, you got this. Instead of the heavens opening up and the voice of God saying, go, my son. <laughs> you know what he's hearing? Nothing. All, all he knows is this. He gets to that city. The Holy Spirit says, not there. And then he goes to this region, says, also not there. But this is a little difficult because it's not like the brother's flying from one place to another. It's not like he's driving from one place to another. They're on horseback. They're walking. They're on sea. And it's like the Lord waits till they get to that region and says, oh, Praise God, you obeyed, but not there. Get back on the boat. <laughs> this is not cool, man. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I just want you, to, I want you to think about the reality of the journey as he's going to places. Why didn't God just tell him before he got there? Why didn't God just help them avoid the entire long trip? Because that was God's perfect will. God said, Paul, it is my perfect will for me to send you on a journey, and when you get there, for, it, for you to turn around and go somewhere else. Because 
I have designed in my perfect will for you to allow your plans to fail. High five. Isn't that exciting? What does it say? And I went here, and the Holy Spirit forbid me to enter. And then I went over here, and the Spirit of Jesus also forbid me to enter there. And then, what does he get? Then, I get a vision. A man from Macedonia, who says, why don't you come help us? And we concluded we should go to Macedonia. You know, it's like God saved them powerfully. And I want you to think about that conversion experience. Paul is persecuting the church. He is making sure that the believers are suffering because of their declaration of Jesus being God. And as he's doing that, Jesus shows up, stops him in his tracks, and says, why are you persecuting me? He gives his life to Jesus. What an incredible encounter, right? He gives his life to Jesus. He goes on a journey to share the good news to everyone. And now, God is not revealing himself in the same way. No. God is almost like saying nothing. And in the process, allowing Paul to wrestle with learning how to hear his voice when God doesn't speak so clearly. Ain't that something? Have you ever been at a place where you're wanting to hear God's voice, but it seems like he's not speaking so clearly? Only just a couple of us? I'm going to repeat that again. Have you ever been at a place where you want to hear God's voice and you want God to really just show you where to go and he's just kind of... You know why? Because God wants you to learn to listen to his voice even when it seems like he's not saying anything. He wants you to learn. And the problem with us is that we want God to speak like that. God, you showed me yourself like this, and this is how I got saved, and that's how I want you to speak to me all the time. We don't get to tell God how he's going to speak to us. Right? And then this is the other funny thing we do. God, I've made these plans. Now bless these plans, and you've got to operate within my plans. <laughs> God says, No but I love you. I'm so proud of you for planning this thing out and really strategizing. You did a good job. Those aren't my plans, though. God, your joy does not depend on your plans working out. Let's stop there. Would you stand with me? Somebody help me with this pulpit. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I sat down to plan something and I was so excited about it and I just started the journey thinking this is it. God's going to show up. Revival's going to take place. The glory cloud is going to be here. I can't wait. And God's like, that was great. I'm so proud of you. Okay, this is where it ends. Now I want you to turn in another direction. I said, God, what was that for? Where was the fruit in that? I wanted to see more. You were supposed to do more. He says, I did all that I wanted to do. Now it's time to move. Your joy does not depend on your plans working out. I want you to know that when your plans don't work out, it's not because God left you. Notice how Paul didn't all of a sudden in Scripture said, and God didn't allow me to be in Asia, so I just thought God must not love me. He must have not really called me, so I just quit preaching. I don't know what to do now. He didn't do that. 
you know, life is filled with ups and downs and turns. What Jesus is saying is, hold on to me, not to your plans. Hold on to me, not to your goals. Trust me. Trust me and not your strategy. Your joy is found in Jesus only. Your joy is found in following his lead. Your joy is not found in serving self, but in serving God and others. And your joy is not found in your strategy. Your joy is in trusting him. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, this holiday season, we want it to be crazy different. We, we want it to be so obvious that we're about you. We want your joy to fill our homes, even if there's no Christmas presents. Even if Thanksgiving table is not as full as we want it to. Even, even if Uncle Johnny goes a little cray-cray on Thanksgiving dinner again. <laughs> we, just, we just want your joy. We want it to be so radically different because we're anchored in you and not in temporary expectations. Because we're trusting you and not in our plans working out just the way we want them to. And we declare this morning, this afternoon, we declare that you are better than our plans. You are better than our expectations. And we trust you. We trust you. Hallelujah. So right now, you're here right now and you're saying, you know what? Today I recognize that my joy, my joy is not found in my plans working out. And I've been kind of a little frustrated because I'm waiting for God to open up the heavens and speak very clearly, very powerfully like he is before. And I realize, you know, I need to give that to the Lord because there are seasons where he does speak like that and there are seasons where he's just leading us in a still, quiet presence. And I just want to say, Lord, I make a commitment to trust you, no matter how you lead or where you lead, or which ones of my plans fail and which ones thrive. I'm just going to trust you. If that's you, you're saying, I need to give my plans and my strategies to the Lord and declare, Lord, have your way, because I know that my joy is not found in my plans working out. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Here we are, God. We raise our hands. In doing so, we raise our families. We raise our jobs. We raise our, our workplaces. We raise our schooling. We raise our marriages. We, we raise our, our singlehood. We raise our friendships. We raise it to you. And we say, God, you're the one in control, not me. I trust you better than me. So before I make a mess of things, here are my plans. Bless you, Lord. We thank you, Lord.
We bless you, Lord God. If the altar workers can join me here at the altar, those who pray at the altar, would you come up right now real quickly? Thank you, Father. Dolores, you can come up too if you can come. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I, um, you know what? It only takes one thing for us to have a real radical, real crazy holiday season. I want that. I want it to be so different for you. I want my, in my house, I want it to be even much more about Jesus. I, I just want it to be so radically different because we make that trade. We're saying, you know what? It's not about the temporary happiness. It's about our, what we have in Jesus. I want that to pass down to your children. I want that to pass down to everybody that surrounds you. And I'm praying that the joy in your life would be so ridiculous, so loud, that it will not only affect you, but affect those that surround you. But where do we get that fountain of joy? We get it from giving our lives to Jesus Christ. So you're here today and you're saying, I, I know today I need to give my life to Jesus. I know today that I need to make a commitment. And so I give him my life. I give him my plans. And I receive him. And I receive the joy that there there is for those who follow him this joy that we're talking about is a joy that you can have the lord loved you enough to forgive you of your sins forgive us of our sins if we repent of our sins to cleanse us and give us a new heart so if you're here today and you're saying i want that joy and i want this relationship with jesus and i want to give him my life i'd like to welcome you to come up to the altar right now if that's you right now would you just come up to the altar and say i give my life to jesus this morning to come up right now we love to pray with you or maybe you're here and you're saying you know what I've walked away I've walked away and I've allowed temporary things to rob me of my joy to rob me of my peace to rob me of the fellowship that I had with the presence of God and I sense that I'm at a place where I'm grieving the Holy Spirit but you're saying no more. Not this year and not this holiday season. It's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about what he's done. If, the, if that's you, would you come up to the altar right now? We'd just love to spend time with you in prayer. Unashamedly, let's just come to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you. Man, the altars are open. Let me bless you. Father, today, my prayer this holiday season for the body, for the rock, is that joy would be evident, that joy would be infectious, that joy will be multiplied, that joy would be overwhelming, that at the Thanksgiving table your presence would be served. <laughs> That at Christmas, as we gather around the tree or whatever it is that we have, your presence would be given. Lord, I pray your anointing over every house. Lord God, and that you would lead our, us to a radical commitment to your joy, to your presence. Lord, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayers, the altars are open. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you.